The scripture reading this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. It can be found on page 952 uh, in your pew Bible. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own body, but, she, uh, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Wow, you guys drew the, the lucky lot on that reading, huh? Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hi. Good afternoon. We are here, and I'm so thankful that we're here on a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day. Um, it's spring, change of season. We got the doors open, and we are in the middle of a series that we started on Resurrection Sunday, which is called Resurrection Relationships. What does the idea that Christ being risen from the grave has to do actively and practically in our most significant relationships, okay? And so we started this a couple of weeks ago, and last week we amplified it, the idea that it really begins with the idea of knowing God as our Father, really knowing God as our Father, okay? Today we're going to talk about marriage, and what does marriage mean? How is it impacted? How is the institution of marriage impacted by the fact that Jesus is resurrected from the grave, Next week, we're going to talk about friendships. This is always a big one, especially for guys, because we like to have buds, but how many of us have deep friends? We're going to talk about what is it to have friendship in Christ next week, and then uh, there's a couple of things we've got sprinkled. We've got Confirmation Sunday that's going to be part of this, and I'm so excited to hear how the youth pick up this theme of resurrection relationships, and all of this is building up, by the way, to June 2. We're going to have a single service, and it's going to be a baptism Sunday. So Baptism Sunday on June 2, uh, if you're here and you have been stirred in your heart to consider a believer baptism, we would love to talk to you about that, and we're going to have that service here on June 2. So all of this is building up as part of resurrection relationships. All this stems from the idea that we are created in the image of God, and we're created in the image of God, by the way, and that gives us a sense of our relational heart as God is triune, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Such a divine mystery that how the three can be unique persons, yet one in spirit, because they're so intimate with each other. We're made in that image, longing for relationship. 
That's how we're made. Now, you might be asking yourself, what does that mean everyone has to be married? No, I'll get to that in a second. The idea is that we're, long, we're made longing to crave relationship. That's how God made us. And that is only met, first of all, with knowing God as our Father. Talked about that last week. That teaching is online. We know God as our Father collectively. We just prayed that. Our Father together in Christ. That is our primary relationship. And that fills us and puts less pressure on everything else that we do. But we have to know God as Father. That's the, that's the most significant relationship that we are created longing for. And that is where we begin. Next, as we talk about marriage then, what does it mean for us in the wake of having a relationship with God as our Father if we are called into the ministry of marriage, the mission of marriage? You know, so often we might think that the mission field is somewhere out there. You got to get in a plane or a boat or something and go off on mission. But do you realize that the mission field is actually right here and in your home with the person that's next to you? Marriage is a mission. It is a mission and a ministry. We're going to unpack that a little bit more, and I've got a guest that's going to help me with that. But it really is our most significant relationship we enter into because we enter into this one voluntarily, okay? Siblings, we're kind of, we don't really have a choice. Parents, we don't really get much of a choice in that. Marriage, though, that's a relationship we enter into voluntarily. We said yes. We chose it. You know, we called it. We asked. We we, we begged for the hand, we said yes, accepted the ring, put the Instagram pics up of the engagement. We're here. It's voluntary. We're also vulnerable in marriage. We're, we're, we're vulnerable in marriage. Marriage exposes you, exposes your heart, your weaknesses, your strengths. can't hide when you live with somebody, and you live with somebody over the course of many years. You can't hide. There's a vulnerability to that, okay? It's also volatile. Marriage is volatile. can change on a dime, can't it? It's like we're having a great time, and then all of a sudden, bam, we're in a deep season of heartache, heartbreak. It's volatile. So today, as we talk about this idea of marriage, and I do want to say, first of all, that maybe you're here, and this is not your story, okay? The church is a diversity of bodies, and not everyone is called into a a marriage, maybe you're here today and you're single, maybe you're still young and single, maybe you're older and still single, maybe you've been uh, in a relationship that, you know, fell apart or for whatever reason you're not in anymore and you're, you're like, I'm, I am where I am, that's okay. We celebrate that diversity and I know that there's kind of a sort of an awkwardness when it's like, oh, now we're talking about marriage and I'm sitting here by myself. I was that guy. I was in church, I was a pretty new believer, I was young but not that young. I had come to faith when I was 30 and so I was at a church where they talked a lot about marriages, and I was in a small group once, and all of a sudden they were like, we're doing a marriage study. I was like, okay, okay, that's okay. It was helpful to me. <laughs> it was helpful to me because it was, it was stuff that I could, I could bank. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll hold on to it, and if ever, you know, I, I guess I can use it. But it was also helpful because I had friends that were married or, you know, engaged, and I was able to have a better insight to some of the things that they were going through and help them, uh, you know, or even other families around me, or other couples, even to understand my parents' broken relationship. It was helpful, okay? Uh, there's another way that it can be helpful, too, is the understanding that by uh, Christ, by faith, we are all the bride of Christ. We're all the bride of Christ. Do you ever think that? And the groom is coming back someday, and he's going to claim us as his bride. 
So this idea of marriage and mission is really relevant for us, no matter where we are in our story. Okay, but let's get to it. Let's talk about marriage. Uh, there's two stools. It's so dumb if I tried to talk about relationships by myself. And so I've got a special guest, my wife of almost 18 years, Alicia, is going to join me up here, and we are going to talk together. Yeah, thanks. Come on in. What's that? Oh, yeah, microphone here. See, I'm already meeting needs. Oh, nice. Thank you, Simon. <laughs> Honey. We're, we're going to talk in a second about uh, being filled with your relationship with God as your father first, and then how that kind of spins and applies into marriage relationship, which I think is such a great part of your early story. I mean, she, you've heard of single and loving it. I really think that her early story is like single and loving God, um, but there was a, a little bit of twist to that. So do you want to talk about your story? But first, uh, let me pray. Please, okay. yes. Father, thank you. Mm. Thank you for the privilege of being here this morning and mm. to just open ourselves up to this conversation about marriage and specifically, Lord, the, the resurrection power that you want to display through it. Mm. Lord, I ask that you would bind us together in the diversity of this church, that wherever we are in our marital story or not, Father, that you would bring us together in a place where we can all learn from you, Holy Spirit. We give you this time and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Yeah, so single and loving God. Uh, my story began in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Grew up in a Christian home very early on, remember, a specific moment of surrendering my life to Christ, beginning a personal relationship with Jesus that was uh, fed by church and people around me, um, friendships, relationships, and then Christian college. Beyond that, ministry that I chose, working with Campus Life, helping out with youth group and church. Um, a very full life and very face to God, seeking his will. Um, but amidst all that, kind of wondering, like you said, would described um, just created for a relationship, I felt like my life would be most complete if that Christian husband came along. In fact, like a lot of Christian college graduates, we worked, I think it might have been part of our senior project of make your list. What's he going to be like? Um, so whether it was a stated project, it was, it was subtle. It was in there. Um, so had my list of what I prayed for. And there was, there was a desire that wasn't necessarily a great one. I think of um, Genesis 3, where it describes how God delved out the different curses after the fall. And so for Adam, his work curse, and then for Eve, talking about how her desire would be for her husband and he would rule over you and over her. And later, a couple chapters later in Genesis, that same word desire is used again, might only be those two times in the Bible, but that desire in the couple chapters later is Cain for Abel to kill his brother out of jealousy. Mm -hmm. There's a desire that's almost insatiable. And so for me to have that underlying desire where I think I won't be okay unless this list is met with some facetious, some husband that I know God has for me. Um, so I stood up as a bridesmaid 18 times, six of those as sisters of mine, um, but each time wondering, okay, when is it my turn already? And having that um, and, um, and praying towards, and many times people saying that, well, as soon as you're okay, when, you're, when you least expect it, and when, you be, when you're okay with maybe even God doesn't want me to be married. And, of course, the whole time kind of praying with one eye open. I think I'm okay now, you know, and <laughs> is he there? Um, and so cool. He was there. It was really neat to hear that um, 
the same woman, Lori, who introduced him to Christ through work, I was in a Bible study with her, and she turned to me the first night of our Bible study, my first time meeting her, and said, I know who it is that you're going to marry. And so she set us up, and on a blind date, and a couple fast months of dating later, a few more fast months of engagement, under a year of meeting each other, we were married. And it was such a beautiful day. It was favorite day of my life, an outdoor wedding in September, um, butterflies and flowers, and the, the scene I had hoped for, I used all those 18 weddings, all got full of ideas and Pinterested my own and our beautiful day. Um, oh, I love it. Um, and at the same time, after that honeymoon, also carefully planned and enjoyed, I think we both were surprised having been so faith-focused, God-focused, God, who do you have for me? What would a ministry marriage look like? I think we were surprised when that wasn't bliss. And pretty quickly into marriage, the happily ever after song turned a little sour. So, yeah. yeah. Were you surprised? Yeah, I can can pick up from there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I, I definitely, too, struggled in my desire... Uh, for relationship. Now, my, my pre-Christ life, right, before I really knew the love of God in Christ and God as my Father, uh, there was definitely an ache for relationships. And so I was that guy that was always trying to find the girlfriend, and then later as I got older, like, maybe the wife, right? But my, my uh, criteria is basically, does she make me look good, and do I feel good, right? Is it all about me? Like, do I, do, does this person make me look great? Does she meet my needs? Am I, am I happy with her? And, and I think because I had that part of my story, I, I had a lot of pain. I had a lot of pain in my life relationally. I did a lot of damage relationally too. Um, and so after I came to Christ, there was such a change in my heart. Um, but I too had to, had to go to that surrender to God moment. Because I had come to Christ, I was like, okay, good. Well, I guess now I'll just look for the good Christian girl who makes me look good and like makes me feel great, right? And that was really hard. It was, you know, I was a little bit older at my church, and, you know, there just, there, there seemed like there wasn't a lot of options. And so, uh, same thing, kind of making mistakes and trying to, you know, connect things that weren't really there for me, right? And so, it was also still a lot of pain and ache, honestly. And then I had this big moment with God where I'm like, okay, fine, I surrender to you. And if you, if you want me to remain single, then I accept that, kind of half finger crossed behind the back. But no, no, I accept it. And he really convicted me on that, like, no, you need, to, you need to know that I'm enough for you. And I was like, yes, Lord, you are enough for me. Oh, it's painful. Okay. But yes. So, and then sometime later, I was introduced to Alicia. And I got to tell you, it's, it's a little corny. Um, I was filled instantly with a love that I have never experienced. Like, I knew what it was to like or desire but God filled me with a love for her that I, I just could never experience. I could never have made that up. Uh, I mean, for, the, for our dating season, I don't know if my feet ever touched the ground, okay? And then when she said yes to marrying me, I was up on the clouds, right? It was so great. And our engagement season was amazing, and our wedding was super awesome. We had friends and family around us that, you know, both knew us and, and cared for us, and they were like, oh, I see such Jesus in you, Simon, and Felicia. Like, what is God going to do with the two of you? There was such promise and celebration at our wedding. We went off to an awesome honeymoon, had a great time, came back, and all of a sudden, it was just hard. 
oh man, it was so difficult. We were locked into our own ways of doing things. We were locked into our own perspectives. I remember fighting over, you know, what the temperature of the thermostat was. I mean, we were just, just, but it wasn't just that. Like, it would spill over into other things. We'd be as creative as we are with our words, really creative at cutting each other apart. And so our first year of marriage was painful. And our second year of marriage was even worse. It was horrible. I remember having a feeling where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm locked in. Like, I stood before God and her dad, and I said, yes, I do, and forever I do, and I'm, I'm locked in, and I, I'm not, I don't know if I can do it, because it's so hard. I, I know I can't go on like this, that's for sure. So we tried to negotiate it out. We're like, all right, let's just be neutral. Let, let's be that couple that smiles nicely everywhere we go, um, but inside, we're just like, you're over there, I'm over here, I can't stand you, I don't know if I want to be around you. But we also knew that, that that wasn't right either. You know, there's a phrase, and it, it gets thrown around, you know, uh, uh, grossly, honestly. And it's a phrase you might have heard before, you know, that people are living in sin, right? And, and typically, it, it, it's assigned to people who are in a cohab situation. You're living together, right? Living in sin. But I'll be honest. I think it's just as sinful when people who say they love Jesus and He's the center of their lives don't live out of His love and minister to one another as he's called us to. I think it's just as sinful when we live together in a way that's not honoring to God, and we were living in our sin. Yeah, that's a really powerful phrase. I think it's um, tough to picture because it actually just, sin is death. And so there's a stagnancy to it. There's a just a um, in existence, but then when, when issues in life would get busy and hard for me, that living in sin often um, would come up with, as life got busier, adding five kids to it, and then still trying to balance work and the nature of life, and that same desire that I described with the teeth and with, like, insatiable demand and desire um, also came along in that where it was like, Simon, you must meet my needs. I'm anxious about this list of to-dos. I'm anxious about what's a wreck in our house or our kids, and I'm tired. You must meet my needs. Um, and when both of us are in that kind of crazy-ish cycle, um, we're not only not ministering to each other, there's no resurrection here, um, but then how much our own kids suffer, and then the very ministry that we were once called into, picturing that sunny day with the butterflies and the hope of that, what would this ministry be? It's also stagnant and dead, mm -hmm. and it's sad. So we need the hope. We need the hope of what our scripture was from today. Um, looking at Ephesians 5.21, very quickly in, in that first phrase, it's a reminder. It's a positive reminder, and it says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's okay. Hey, out of reverence for Christ. So even if we can't, the two of us, turn and be subject and love to each other, what could we do because we first said yes to God? Me as a five-year-old and him at 30, I first said yes to God. Do I still have that reverence, and can I bring him the death, and then that resurrection power back to what we bank on in our marriage. Yeah. 
Yeah, this, this passage here, this verse 21, really sets up the next set of instructions, which are the awkward ones, right? Wives, submit, and husbands, love. And before you get there, though, you have to deal with this passage here that sets the whole thing up. It's like, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, out-love, out-serve each other with humility, and then it's going to give us instruction how to do that. Now, we do that out of reverence for Christ, and that softens that word reverence, it really is in some base level fear, okay? We get back to that healthy fear, right? But it's fear and awe and wonder at the power of Christ to do something different in our home and in our marriage that we could never ask or imagine. It's that reverence for Christ that He can do something that I cannot do. Heal us and lead us. So we subject to one another, we serve one another, out of our reverence, awe, wonder, and even fear of a God in Christ who can do so much more. He can resurrect even a dead marriage. So, honey, how do we do this? Let's begin with the wives section, okay? Now, let me say this before she digs into what does it mean to submit? And she's going to dig in there. Uh, when you look at these two passages, like, you know, wives, be subject to your husbands, right? And, and, and husbands, love your wives, it's so easy to look at these and think, well, there must be sequential, like, well, wives, you better do this, and then husbands, we get to do that. No, no, no. They're not sequential. It's a harmony. If they could, they should be written in parallel, right, next to each other. What Paul is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing in this passage, he's saying, okay, wives, come over here for a sec. Come over here. Let's gather over here. This is what it means to be in uh, uh, the mission of your marriage. And then for guys, it's like he gathers us over here. Guys, privately, let me talk to you about what it is to be in your marriage. It's, it's not one and the other. It's not like you do this and I get to demand that she does that. In fact, these passages are never intended for the opposite gender to say, well, you have to look, this says for you. No, I deal with what the Word tells me to do, and she and the company of her friends that love her and who are also walking in Christ deal with that on her end, okay? It's a harmony. It's a not a one or. They feed each other. They make a beautiful song together, so in this beautiful little harmony, I always wonder, kind of like when you're at a birthday party and you're like, all right, time to sing. Who, who starts the song, though? Who, who gets it going? So you want to talk to us about this section on wives? Um, yeah, so thinking of um, who gets to start the song, um, I picture with my kids that you can imagine if you have any around you or been around kids, they fight. And so when I have two and it seems to be an impasse or more couple against each other, and so you're trying to get to the bottom of it and they keep saying, well, I'm not going to say sorry because she, and you keep pointing across. And at some point I just say, okay, who's going to be the bigger person? Who's going to step in and admit what you did? My mom used to phrase it, who here is going to take the grace? Mm. And that grace, it it actually gets me really overwhelmed when one of my kids, the other person not deserving, we might even have a mark on arm or face, but when they say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have, I snuck into your room or whatever they did, and when there's that humble admittance and that forward step of the bigger person, and it's mind-blowing because only with God's strength can that happen. And it's the same for us and the song, the harmony that's intended here in Ephesians. When I hear Paul's words, when I hear how he's saying what God's saying to us, it's so positive and exhorting. 
He's not chiding us. He's not yelling at us to stop this and don't fight. And why did you? He's saying, wives, do you want to make a beautiful song? Yours is distinct. Submit to your husbands. For me, Lisha, submit that list of what Simon should be doing to make you happy or how he should change in order to, make, to complete me as I designed and thought for my best for myself. Submit that and now go under and support who you see. And maybe even if it was a long time ago or a couple weeks ago that I see this is the man God designed and the strengths and I exhort and I encourage. And I'll tell you what, that lifting up, that submitting, actually is a lot harder than a lot of things I've ever had to do. It takes the strength of me in a way, an independence of me, because it's release of who I am and my control and demands and a submission first to God. Yeah. It's very tough, but yet so incredible how when I even can do that little bit, like one of my children, okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I see what I, what's going on here. Thank you for that, Simon. I see you, the man, the husband, the, the pastor. How that draws his heart, so often then my emotional needs do begin to be met. And mm -hmm. even will ask me about my list and how we can help. So, you know, <laughs> If I can tag in on that. I mean, yeah. the idea that you know, wives be subject or submit to husbands, it, it doesn't mean weak. It doesn't mean you, you, you're weak, okay? I think it's actually strength. The way that the wives are called to submit, it's like a, like a shovel submitting into the ground. It goes underneath to lift up, okay? And, and that's what I see is so healthy about this. The idea of you, submitting means like she digs in and comes under and lifts up and says, you can be all the man that God intends you to be. And that's the exhorting. And she does such a great job at that of encouraging me to continue to be the man who God has called me to be. That's, that's where I, I feel that impact of this, this voice. But guys, we're, we're not off the, we're not off the, the, the hook here. Um, if you notice, we get a lot more ink, okay? We get a lot more ink in our side of the song. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. And when I heard that passage first, like fresh, it was, oh man, I'm supposed to, it's okay to love your wife. It's okay to love your wife. Now, I'll be honest. I grew up in a broken home. There was no dad around. I had every excuse in the world to say, I don't know how to do that because I didn't know how to do it. But that's where you begin to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart and say, Lord, teach me. Teach me how to love. And guess what? We get an amazing example of Christ loving the church. Okay, that's a high bar. That's a high bar. But he's going to help us out of my reverence for Christ. He gave himself up for her to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by his word in order to present her to the, to the church, present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle. Here's the great uh, challenge of this text. I am married to my wife, who is also my sister in Christ. I'm married to my wife, who is also my sister in Christ. And I am called to love her with a measure of the love that Christ has for her. I can be a pretty jealous guy. I really can be. But there's one whom I know loves her more than I do. And that's Jesus. He loves her more than I do. And I know that my job is to love her with some measure of the love that Jesus has for her and to that great hope at the end of our days that I can walk her before the throne of the one who's loved her the most 
and hopefully hear, good job, well done, thank you. I'll take it from here because this is his bride. And I love her as Christ loves the church. <sighs> so maybe you came this morning and you were thinking, maybe you heard the topic or maybe you didn't know what we were going to talk about today. And you were maybe thinking, I'd get a couple of tips for how to improve my marriage. Here's the thing. Without knowing the love of God, receiving that into our hearts by the grace of Christ, we can't do it. I could give you some tips on how to improve your marriage, but if you don't know the love of God in Christ, it's just going to be working at it to try to do better. And that'll never pay off. It really begins with receiving Jesus to our heart and saying, Lord, help me. Teach me. Wives gathering together and encouraging one another. What does it look like if? Men gathering together and saying, guys, what does it look like if? And continuing to do what he's called us to do. Well, we want to continue this conversation because we know this is a lot to unpack, so I want to invite you one more time. Tonight, 5.30, Lish and I will be here with child care in the basement, uh, and we would love to continue this talk about what is God's vision and purpose for marriage in his story, and then if that's true, then why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? We want to turn our hearts now to receive communion. Thank you, honey. Do you want to pray for us as we head into communion? Yes. Let's pray. Well, thank you, God. Thank you for calling Simon and I together, and that you had grace enough that we are still together in your name. And we do pray if there are other people who are feeling the impossible or having any kind of a standoff or stagnancy, that you would invade and invest and bring your resurrection power to this room, whomever it is, and by your grace alone, we pray and commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the second chapter of John, there was a wedding feast in a land called Cana. Jesus was there with his mom. It was early in his ministry, and something happened that was kind of awkward in the, in the wedding party. They were celebrating this great this celebration, this couple coming together in marriage, and they ran out of wine. Now, you might think that's a pretty small thing, but culturally, that was a pretty big deal, right? They would have forever have been known as that couple that ran out of wine. They would have forever been that couple that's like, remember that wedding? Yeah, they ran out of wine. Jesus took common water and a simple act of obedience, and he made not only wine out of it, but the reports were it was the best wine. He took their shame away. He took their shame away, and he let them walk renewed as that couple Oh, you remember that? That's where you go get the best wine. Jesus wants to take your shame away. So maybe you're here this morning and, and this talk has, has stirred something in your heart from maybe marriage you're in or, or one you long for. Maybe you're here struggling with desire, desire with teeth. Maybe you're here this morning and just been beaten up by it and you want healing. God wants to take your shame away. Jesus wants to take your shame away. This is why we approach the table where we see that Jesus, the very night that he was betrayed, relational pain, he took bread and he said, this is my body. And he gave thanks for it. And he said, it is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup, it is a new covenant. In my blood, do this 
in remembrance of me. For friends, as often as we eat this bread, we drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and the certainty of his return. Let me pray, and then I'm going to ask uh, our servers to come forward and receive the elements, and we will have distribution throughout the rooms. We'll have gluten-free over there. Uh, Alicia's going to join me up front here, and if you want to come forward and just receive the sacrament together or for healing or for taking away of shame, we would love to serve you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to enter into our story with boldness, conviction, and power. Father, we come before you out of reverence of Christ and all that he can do. Thank you, Jesus, that by your blood, body broken and your blood shed, you take away the pain of our, our sin and you take away our shame. You deal even with death. It's no more. So, Father, I pray that you would feed us today together as we come before you, our Father, with a spiritual food, nurturing our hearts for the mission that you've given us to love and serve our neighbor, including the person who's next to us right now. Feed us, we pray. In your name, Jesus, amen.